You gotta drink some water, you know? It's important to stay hydrated. Nice, refreshing water. Anyway, so as usual, I was watching a DigiBro video and uh, I got inspired, I guess, again, to talk about one thing in particular. And uh, as often with DigiBro videos, he kind of like addressed it from a kind of different aspect than what I would consider addressing it from. Obviously, he's way more outspoken and like fixed in his ideas than I probably am going to be. Just my personality uh, just the way my personality is, I, I take into like consideration like multiple viewpoints. It's something I do like pathologically. I can't help not doing it. So I was thinking about, uh, okay, so just as a point of reference, I'm talking about this, we have accepted mediocrity video. So I, I watched that like, again, obviously, I, obviously I watched it when it came out too, but like recently I watched it again. And uh, I mean, it's like, like he like he calls like he says about himself it's it's a gonzo journalism like classic gonzo journalism which he always does but enough about that i want what that got me thinking about was he talks about mediocrity but he doesn't really go into depth on one of the other things that mediocrity is kind of like always associated with which is complacency right now the the type of mediocrity that's associated with complacency is not the only type of mediocrity right there's also the other type which is just you're trying but you're just not good enough which is like i think is an excusable form of mediocrity probably digi wouldn't think the same way he'd be like why are we paying the untalented fucks to make shows when we could be making shows by people who actually have talents or something like that probably uh, yes, I have an AI in my brain that, that recreates what Digi would do in any particular circumstance. And I have a tattoo on my back that says WWDD, what would Digi do? But that's not uh, that's not a topic for discussion right now. We were talking about mediocrity. So two types of mediocrity, right? One associated by you just not good enough to make something that's not mediocre, right? Uh, which is, I think, what What's not a huge problem because the people who are just not good enough usually don't hang around long enough to create a large amount of mediocre art, although there are a ton of exceptions. I'm not saying that it's categorical. Okay. Type two. Type two of mediocrity, I think, is the type that's concerned with complacency. Now, like, okay, complacency is like such a large catch all that it's like basically meaningless to talk about unless you're talking about a specific aspect, right? So the type of complacency that I'm talking about is a complacency of that'll do, right? For lack of a, a better term, that'll do, like that's good enough, right? Like if you're writing a show and you're, ta- you're taking your time, you're like making it perfect, you're, re- you're redoing all the jokes so that they're funny and that they land and the audience, you know, just explodes into laughter whenever they hear your, your stuff. And then someone's like, oh, hey, you, you stop spending so much time on that script. We have to submit it in like two days. We need to do another run through with the uh, with the whole crew before we wrap it up. Right. Why are you spending so much time working on the jokes and the timing and the delivery and stuff like that? That's like that's like the and like a, a really good example of the complacency complex, as I'm calling it. That's my thing now. I'm calling it the complacency complex. It's just like people who have other priorities other than making your work as good as it can be. Like, okay, so that's that. So that's being complacent, right? It's like you spending less time on something just because there are other factors influencing you, but some of those influences can't be helped, 
right? Like if you have a deadline to meet, you have to just make it as good as possible before the deadline shows up because you have to submit it. There's no other option. Like you can't go into the hyperbolic time chamber and then spend like two years on that shit. That's not going to happen. Like that's not a possibility realistically. But like what about open-ended timelines, right? And I'm going to talk about YouTube and I know that YouTube isn't really an open-ended timeline because you have to post regularly if you want to keep up that search engine optimization, if you want to stay relevant in the algorithm and all that shit. I know that, but I'm just saying it's more open-ended than like uh, a traditional writer job where you have to submit a chapter by this day on this month, right? If you're not fully satisfied with this video, you can like postpone it a day or two. And I know people do that, but like I'm saying to make it like a habit to like prioritize the quality of your work over but i know there are people who do that too i'm saying by and large the industry as a whole has chosen to favor one over the other basically that's what i'm saying is that we as a media consumption consuming audience have accepted complacency like we're just like okay this show i mean it's not great solid six out of ten that's fine. I'll watch it. Anyway, I have nothing better to do. Like, I'm going to watch all the shows that come out. Why would I not watch this one? So you're basically like uh, us as a, as a media consuming audience have accepted that complacency is just a fact of a fact of life. And that in pretty much every regard, like, uh, I'm not going to pontificate about mediocrity in mainstream music. I think that's been, uh, as a long opined fact or thought or whatever that mainstream music is pretty how do you say mediocre comes from a place of something other than maximizing art and i think we can take that as not a given but take that as kind of like a a widely accepted fact if not maybe not universally but widely accepted okay that was a tangent back to the main topic right so when you when you sit still and you like i i see this in my own work right like if you're not constantly improving you're standing still is like my driving philosophy everything i do i try to like make myself better at everything and like i i made a cooking stream like 2 days ago where i just made like some random like bread spread of apple and cheese and that was like the most random thing in the universe and i just did it because i was going to be in the kitchen for like 2 to 3 hours so i was like okay why not just make some content, you know, like someone might find it useful. I doubt it, but maybe in the future someone might. Uh, so yeah, so was that the best content in the universe? No, obviously not. I knew it wasn't at the time that I did it, but I just thought, okay, here's something to do, right? That's complacency on my part. I'm just like accepting that this isn't great content. And for some reason, instead of being deeply offended by the fact that something that I make isn't amazing, I just accepted it and moved on with my life and uh, recorded two of these, which I also think aren't the greatest thing in the world, but something that I think needs work to improve. And that's why I'm sticking with it to improve it, right? But maybe you'd be too arrogant to say that I don't see that uh, attitude displayed elsewhere in the industry and by the industry i'm talking about internet content in general rather than any one specific thing and i don't want to give any examples but there's a certain person i have in mind who pays a search engine optimization engineer i don't know what title they have what uh noun they have that describes their role but i'm going with engineer maybe it's like technician or something i don't know uh 
but they pay a search engine optimization guy to like find what topics to make videos about, right? And to me, that's like the most offensive thing in the universe because you're you're allowing like an algorithm to dictate what you should make your videos about, right? Which in and of itself isn't the most evil thing in the universe. Totally, you could definitely do that. You could definitely make a living doing that. And that person that I'm thinking of definitely does make a living doing that. And they're totally fine with it. And their channel has become much more successful over the past, I would say, 18 months. It's kind of exploded. And the topic of their videos has changed, or the format of their videos has changed kind of drastically. Uh, I'm, I'm like doing mental black backflips, not to say anything explicitly identifying. I hope I haven't said anything yet. Uh, okay. So that, take that as an example. So you have someone who was making a unique product, which, uh, there was not the equivalent of in the space. And then they changed their stuff to chase success. And while that's not being complacent because that actually requires, thought, time, and effort, right? But it is embracing mediocrity in a way because they're accepting that the videos that they actually want to make, which some would consider the uh, the better videos, are, are not the ones that they are making currently because they're letting things other than the quality of their art influence what they should be doing, right? So is that still complacency? This is what got me interested in this topic in the first place, because some people, well, traditionally you would call that selling out, right? You'd say this person sold out. Uh, they we don't, I'm not going to watch their stuff anymore because they're, they sold out for the money and they, they don't care about what, what their videos are about. They just care about money right now. That's what you would say traditionally, but I'm trying to define it in a different perspective. I'm trying to be like, what is that? Is that embracing mediocrity because you have accepted that the alternative which would be to uh maybe uh i the word complete i had a word in my head and it completely escaped me to relish your obscurity in like okay so you choose to relish your obscurity to maximize the quality of your art and i know i keep saying that's kind of a vague statement but uh, what I'm trying to say by saying that is that you're making the art that you want to make rather than uh, the art that is dictated that you should make. Like, for example, this is just a random example. There are a lot of top 10 channels out there in the world, right? There are a bunch of top 10 channels that just make top 10 lists and that's all they do. And that's like amazing for the algorithm or it used to be. I don't know if it still is, but like now because watch time is a whole thing and 10 minute videos, but maybe they made 10 minute top 10 videos. Who knows? People stretch out videos way, way too long these days anyway. But like, uh, so they make a top 10 list and then that shit hits the algorithm like crazy because people, it's like a click, it's not clickbait. It's like, you won't believe what happened next. Kind of like that suggestive video title. So then people click and they shoot up the ladder. So, but they're only making videos specifically to get views. They're not making it to uh, expand top 10 lists. Like for example, this is an example that Digibro uses all the time. So I'm going to plagiarize him and then I'm going to add one of my own examples on top of that. So here we go. First example, uh, Anthony Fantano, right? He does so many music reviews, but 
for some people, not for me, for me, I can't watch any of his videos unless I explicitly care about or am curious about the artists that he's reviewing. But for some people, watching, like, okay, watching one of his reviews is like you watch it solely because he's such a good reviewer. Like, he goes through the review so in such a formatted and like consistent and logical way that you're like, okay, so you watch it for his reviewing ability rather than the art which he's reviewing. That's for some people. Another example is like a Nardwar interview, right? So Nardwar is amazing at interviews, but sometimes you don't care about who he's interviewing. I know I've watched a ton of Nardwar interviews where he interviews like some random person I've never even heard of, but I still watch the whole interview just because he, because of his personality and the way that he uh, researches a person and like finds things about them that they never thought people would find out and stuff like that which I find incredibly fascinating. So that's why I watch his reviews, right? Because he's like, he took the art form of an interview, which is usually, if you watch all these press junket YouTube videos, they're just like, they ask the most obvious questions in the world and they get the most obvious answers in return and they just move on. And then you, like, they do the same interview again with 35 other publications. He took something that has become so uh, commoditized like that and he like expands it and he's been doing it for a long time so he's really good at it but uh he's he, he takes it and he expands it to something that's like that makes you learn more about the artist as a person and like makes you more interested i know i've listened to some people's music after seeing their nardwar interview and being like hey that person uh, seems like an interesting person maybe i wonder what their music is like so that is what Ideally, that's what everyone should be doing with whatever they're doing. Like if you're making fucking home improvement videos, your home improvement videos, I think, should strive to be the Nardwar interview of home improvement videos. Like no matter what deck you're renovating or like what kitchen you're refurbishing, I don't know anything about home improvement. I'm making up this stuff as I'm saying it, but whatever you're doing. They should seek to further the medium as a whole. Like your home improvement video should make people rethink the way or rethink home improvement videos in general, right? Like maybe you do a comedy skit. Maybe you do like a whole plot throughout the... Th like, I don't know. I'm just throwing out random examples. But the point is it should further the medium, ideally. That's what you want to do. That's because you're adding something to the art. It's not just about what you're doing. It's about how you're doing it and how you're... This is just an example. So like when you, when, again, not to suck his dick too much, but just as an example, that mediocrity video where he, where he talks about, did you bro? I mean, talks about all the, the various like ways that TV anime, as we know it, like seasonal TV anime has accepted mediocrity. And it's just like, okay, so this season we're making this show and this will get us just enough money to make another show next season which will pay the checks just enough to get another show next season like i don't know what example he says but he says nobody's trying to make the next ponyo or, or whatever like a ghibli movie level of quality in a, in their in their series so like expanding that to what i do which is writing like i'm on a discord not to shit on the people on the discord they have their interests i have mine we sometimes they are common sometimes they're not this is one of the areas where they're not right it's like in recent years the uh, young adult fiction fantasy and sci-fi fiction has boomed to such an extent 
that fucking anybody who writes any book anywhere is trying to market whatever they're doing as young adult or uh, fantasy or sci-fi, just like shoehorning or changing the uh, marketing of their book to like target young adult readers as much as possible because that's the demographic that's shown any sign of growth in the book industry at all. All of the parts of the book industry are stagnant or uh, diminishing, right? So what if your book is not like, okay, so then one sec, let me gather my head here. Okay. So if you're then, if you're writing a young adult book, you have to do something to distinguish yourself, which I think is actually really good. That helps further the medium, like we were talking about. If you're doing some work in that field, then you have to do something that's distinct and different and identifiable as being new rather than just rehashing the same old things again and again, right? That's the ideal. But again, not shitting on the people in this particular Discord that I'm in, I don't see not I'm not I'm talking about the industry in general, not any particular person's story or whatever. I don't see the the will to like do something new. Like I recently I read like 75% of a book called Sudden Death by Alvaro Enrique. It's it's he's he spells his last name with a G, so I don't know how to pronounce it, so I'm just pronouncing it like Enrique Iglesias, which I know is wrong, but just bear with me here. I'm not Mexican, okay? So this book is like a fucking if if I, I don't know anything about psychedelic substances. I'm assuming that they cause Mass hallucination and hysteria, that's like the basic level of assumption I think you can make about psychedelic substances, right? This book is like the acid trip of books. And I know like a lot of people say that about uh, people like Hunter S. Thompson and people like that. It's not like that. It actually makes actual sense and doesn't involve tripping balls. It's just the narrative is so vast and splintered and he assembles it in such a way centered around tennis. The whole book is about tennis. Actually, to be more specific, the whole book is about one match between um, a painter called Caravaggio and a poet whose name I forget, right? They're playing a tennis a tennis match. It's not modern tennis. It's like ancient tennis in like the 16th century, 1500s, right? And this whole book is centered around this one match. But this match is only like part of the narrative of the book. It talks about like the lives of each of the players. It talks about, it talks a lot about the history of two objects. One, which is like a mural made out of feathers from Mexico. And that relates to the story because like Cortez, the Spanish, uh, like, the Spanish explorer guy who killed like all the Aztecs and the Incas and stuff like that. He brought it over from Mexico to Europe. And then the tennis balls are like made from the hair of an English queen, Anne Boleyn, who was executed and her hair got made in tennis balls. And it like tells a story of like how these tennis balls came to be at that match where they're playing with them. And this feather thing, which I don't think I've even reached far enough in the story to reach how it connects, but like it all connects and to pull a Kurt Vonnegut quote out of my ass, it's like, it's like a Slaughterhouse Five, like Trafalgarian, Trafalgarian fiction. Like, it's except like in reverse. Like that is like a, a linear narrative, like broken up 
out of out of sync, like non chronological order, right? So you you hear about his childhood at the end or like whatever, something like that. But this is like the opposite, right? You take one moment, which is already a singular point in history, right? I mean, it's like a tennis match, so it lasts like an hour or whatever. But in the in terms of history, that's like one single point. And then you you break that one point up into like all its component bits. And like from that one point, you get like this huge story, which is like interesting and fascinating and has all these characters that we can relate to and that you identify with and that have historical significance because they are who they are, but they are, they are like flawed people as well. And then you hear their story and how their story led to this story of the tennis match. It is a nuts book. I've never read another book like it ever. And, and I listened to this interview with the author. He's like a professor. He's like the most unassuming guy. You wouldn't think like this, like work of genius just popped out of his head. Like, randomly and it was first uh, written in spanish it's translated to english and it's still like the tr- like the like there's so many other narratives like just the writing of the book itself is crazy because it's written in spanish but it was translated so well because there's like this one translator lady and apparently he added three chapters to the book when it moved from spanish to english because he i don't know he felt there was more to the story when it was written in english like that that's crazy and that happened like within the past uh, four years or something. I think the book came out in like two years ago or last year. The translation, I mean, the original was written two years before that or written four years before that, published two years before that. But so he's that guy is just sitting there like thinking about what best fits this narrative, like this story I want to tell. What form can I put this novel in that would best fit this story that I want to tell? And by in doing so, he like arrived at this weird format, which like almost resembles a tennis match where you like bounce back and forth between all these different stories. And he's doing stuff to advance the medium of novels, which is like a huge story traditional traditioned medium which is like hundreds of years old and it it takes much more to do that than to advance the uh, medium of youtube videos god knows is like 10 years old 13 if you're counting old old school youtube which was just cat videos and whatever that's only 13 years old but somehow we've run out of ideas already i i don't know it just it, it, it it's just something that i noticed it's like the new the new age that we're in I don't want to pull like a participation sticker type rant. That's not really what I'm about. But it's like we're we're not. This is a quote from The Incredibles straight up. So 2004, it's relevant again because there's a new movie coming out this summer. So I feel like this quote is more relevant than it'll ever be. Uh, is they find uh, well when uh, when 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 Mr. Incredible and his wife get into a fight at the house at the very beginning of the movie he goes like they find they keep finding new ways to encourage mediocrity and then she goes like this is not about you right because generally people who complain about mediocrity consider themselves to be exceptional they they prescribe to some kind of like exceptionalism argument where they're like being suppressed and being forced to uh do the mediocre work that's being rewarded and they don't they can't do the exceptional work that they want to do. That's not what I'm talking about. I have no exception at work. I'm a fucking pleb. I have shit. I'm complete ass at everything that I do. Right? 
but I have uh, I have the motive to improve. I want to get better continuously. And maybe that'll stop at some point, right? At some point I'll get complacent too and I'll be like, hey, this shit is fine. It's making me money. Like uh, I have just enough YouTube money to keep food coming in and uh, the rent paid and the electricity bill, everything set up. Maybe that'll happen. Maybe I'm too broke to have any kind of complacency. That's possible. But I was just noticing like as a whole medium, as a digital medium, digital video, digital, I don't want to say digital writing. That sounds so retarded. Uh, what about like articles, right? Fucking articles are complete shit nowadays and there's no motive to improve. Maybe it's like a monetization problem or something. There's like, there's no monetary incentive associated with improving. Maybe that's something we could fix going forward. I don't know, but I think we need to I was working on a video with the same title, which is like the need for a new counter narrative, which I, I scrapped that because I don't think there's enough there there to do a whole thing on that. But I can kind of incorporate it into this a little bit, which is I feel like we need a new like we've there's no there's been no widespread war, famine, drought or any kind of struggle this century i can say that safely it's 2018 it has many many years in that century yet so like there hasn't been that much struggle other than the 20 or uh, 2008 financial crisis like the the most challenging thing you've had to deal with is the opioid e epidemic which is like one of those lifestyle excess um diseases that we have which makes me like kind of question whether society has gone too far it's like the obesity epidemic we have too much food so that people are dying from overdosing on food it's like the same thing but with medicine we have too many things that are good for you like that take the pain away pain traditionally has been like a huge part of human life and like we've we've removed it to such an extent that people are now dying because they have too they're addicted to the things that remove pain okay i'm not gonna go into that too far what was i talking about oh yeah okay so like we haven't exactly had the most struggle in our lifetimes. I was born in 1996, so maybe not the most challenged generation, definitely. So we've kind of accepted our lot in life, right? When you're living on a farm by the river and you have enough grain to feed the, the, the livestock and your family, you're not really incentivized to go see what the dragon is hiding in the mountains, right? To use a narrative cliche. Uh, but if you're hungry, and you have nothing in your belly, and you need something to eat, and the villagers don't like you, maybe you will go up into the mountain, right? And this is one of those things where how do you, how do you introduce adversity into a lifestyle that is completely devoid of it, and the lack of it is kind of uh, ignored. Like, nobody talks about how life isn't that hard these days. I mean, life is still hard, because life is... Uh, according to Arthur Douglas, inconvenience from beginning to end. So why wouldn't it be hard? But at the same time, life isn't nearly as hard as it used to be 50 years ago, much less 100 years ago, much less 200 years ago. 200 years ago in 1818, if you weren't part of the 1%, you would die at like age 35 from cholera or something. You'd be killed by things you didn't even know existed. And now that's not really a problem. Infectious disease in the second and first world is like completely eradicated. And even in third world countries like India, they still don't, they don't have any polio, which was not a thing 100 years ago, right? So we've increased the living condition to such a degree that 
the only lack we have left is lack of adversity. I think that was a quote from somebody. I can't remember who it was, but that was a quote. That's not me who made that up. So, like, how do you fix that? This is, I'm talking on a much higher macro scale than what what I was talking about initially, which is the quality of YouTube videos that I don't like. So, take all this with a grain of salt. I'm just some dude. But what we were talking about was how do we fix the complacency problem? And through that, the mediocrity problem. Because I don't think you can fix the talentless people being mediocre. That's just something that's going to happen. Like, I'm talentless. I'm going to be mediocre. It's unavoidable. And no matter how hard I try. But damn it if I'm not going to try, right? That's the point. You need. You can't be complacent. You can't sit on your ass and just wait to get better. It's not going to happen. You have to go out and try to get better. You don't have to go out. <laughs> Certainly, I don't. You, don't. you have to try every day to improve. That's, that's what we all should, uh, I just like, my, my train of thought just fell off like a cliff, like in, like fucking Spy Kids 3D or some shit. Or is it Spy Kids 2 Game Over? Spy Kids 3D Game Over, isn't it? Okay, whatever. My 2000s movie trivia isn't what it used to be. Anyway, what was I talking about? Oh yeah, that's what we should all, uh, hope to achieve one day. It's like just get that continuous improvement mentality because once you have that then you can do whatever you want because eventually you're going to get good at it because you're going to keep getting better and maybe you won't be the best in the world but eventually you'll be good enough oh fuck it i just shot my no i'm just kidding uh eventually you'll be good enough that you can make a living doing that right but you have to keep getting better and you can't let good enough stop you maybe it's like a lack of competition because competition isn't something that we competition was something that used to be fetishized back in the day but now it's kind of like frowned upon but competition used to be this thing like you'd go out you compete with others and that drive that competitive drive would be what drove you to get better right and like writers talk about this all the time cooks talk about this cooks i mean chefs chefs talk about this all the time it's like when when you make something and you see somebody making something else, you appreciate them, but also, like, in the back of your head, you're like, fuck that person. I want to be better than that person. I want to I want to make better food. I want to be more famous. I want to be more successful than that person. That's just a capitalistic instinct, I think. That's not something we should discourage. I don't think so. It's something we should embrace because that's what's made our, by our, I mean, Western society, more so successful since the introduction of capitalism and the industrialization of Western countries, it's become vastly, vastly more or vastly, vastly better place to live than it was before because of this competitive drive and urging people to compete, whatever. And you can have problems with that. I I, I agree. A completely free market system is probably not the way to go because the people who get exploited, you know, there's a whole thing. We're not talking about that. We're talking about encouraging that competitive drive in like kids and 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 just to get them used to the idea of competing with the world because when you when you put kids in school and you're like hey uh it's okay if you don't compete right because what you're doing then is that you're just artificially selecting for the kids who naturally have that competitive drive and then they go on to become like olympians or uh basketball players and stuff like that but what about the people who maybe with a little push might have become competitive and they could become like the world's best accountant or something. You don't know. You just, you didn't give them that push early enough. So they became like a mediocre accountant at like a mid-level firm. And then they like moved to Mississippi or something, Minnesota. Let's go there. Mississippi, maybe not the best place for accountants. 
I don't think they have much uh, use for objective fact. Mississippi burn. Okay, moving on. So we're in this society that encourages mediocrity and complacency, or one through the other, encourages mediocrity through complacency by just saying, okay, just go through school. You don't have to be an advanced student if you don't want to be. You don't have to be in the track and field program. You don't have to be an all-American athlete or all-American mathlete or whatever, or be in the physics Olympiad or some shit. But it's like, if you don't encourage kids to go out and uh, give it their all, right? They're just going to sit back and uh, roll with the tide, right? They're just going to let life come at them one day at a time, which, I mean, it sounds fine. But really what you're doing is like locking in our current state for the future. Because the the exceptional, exceptional people, like the really smart people, still do what they're going to do. Like they're going to go out and build quantum computers or they're going to go out and build artificial intelligence and stuff like that. But you're only slowing our, our development as a society because they do what they do and they're always going to be that 0.01% that do what they do, no matter what. You can't keep them down because they're just so driven and talented that they'll just go get it, no matter what. I'm talking about encouraging that 10% right below them that with a little nudge could do what they do, but are not because we don't value anymore. We used to back in the day, but now I think we've softened on it a little bit as a society as a whole. We've softened on the idea of encouraging competition and like that achievement where we used to fetishize achievement we kind of still do but it's now more like a laid-back kind of achievement like hey it's okay you don't have to run a fortune 500 company you can just like make a startup in your garage or whatever uh but we don't really encourage that go get a spirit anymore we don't like say go and take what you want from the world be like hey you know, like I, I was not dealt all the cards. I started at such a disadvantaged place, but still I'm going to try and I'm going to make it. That, we don't encourage that really because we're already so comfortable with what we have, right? There was a study where it was like, where it said like, um, past an, an income of like $77,000, everything you get doesn't really increase the happiness index according to the WHO or the UN or something like that. So what's the point of having more than that? And the median income in the U.S. is like $59,000 a year, something like that. So it's pretty close to $77,000, right? So you'd be like, hey, you, we're already so happy. Like we're already like pretty close to maxing out how much money can help with happiness. So why should we go and try to like write that groundbreaking new novel or like make that uh, like system redefining new computer or like change the way we think about chemistry or like change the way we think about biology or some shit. Like why should we go and do that? Right. Other than the fact that those people who are already going to do that are going to do that again, I'm like extrapolating to 1 million degrees because we were initially talking about YouTube videos, but I'm taking the system that we see most apparently, at least for me, because I'm always on the internet about YouTube videos and I'm extrapolating it to society as a whole, because society society as a whole is slower to respond to change like this. And the online systems, because of the way they operate, are extremely fast at responding to stimuli like this or changes in perception like this, where complacency is encouraged now. So it's like the YouTube videos now are the same as they were two years ago. But the YouTube videos from four years ago aren't the same as they were two years ago. Because in 2000, oh my God, I, I, I'm, I'm still thinking the year is 2015. Okay, 
cut that YouTube videos seven years ago in 2011 were not what they were four years ago. The, 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 the production value, the formats or the, that define our era now were not invented in 2011. They were perfected around 2012, 2013, and things haven't really changed since then. YouTube as a platform has remained vastly stagnant since then. Is that okay? I mean, it's okay, probably for YouTube. I don't think as a site they care what the like, lasting value of the content on their site is. I'm not being critical of YouTube, but I don't think YouTube is going out and saying, you, we need you to make lasting art that will be talked about 300 years from now, right? That's not what they're asking you to do. They're asking you to grab eyeballs and always watch time views are are the things that are emphasized again and again. And I know that rewatch is one of those things that gets you that watch time, but generally there's another thing that helps you get watch time. That's putting out four to five videos a week. We go back to the thing I fucking ranted about on the first uh, thought piece that I put up on the Patreon page, which is like, you're encouraged to put out so many videos of such low quality because you have this captive audience. I'm not going to say completely captive audience in the traditional sense. I'm going to talk about your subscriber base. At least a certain percentage of your subscriber base will watch all your videos or most of your videos or 75% of your videos or whatever. The point is, if you keep making content that is topically related to the to the to the subjects that they subscribe to you for this is one of those things where you're not really encouraged to diversify or like do different things they'll keep coming back and watching and that's good enough for youtube right that's good enough for the average consumer because this is going to sound pretentious as fuck but that's okay i'm going to say it anyway for the average consumer they don't really care about what the artistic appeal is of the thing that they're watching right uh for them, for them, for me as well, I guess. I mean, who of us haven't watched some kind of like news breakdown video or like some announcement reveal video or something, which are like artistically have no merit, right? There, there probably is a way to be the Nardwar interview of news uh, compilation shows or like news bundle shows or whatever they're called these days. I don't know. There probably is a way to be the Nardwar of that. But I don't know what it is because I don't do those shows. But uh, and there are probably some people doing it, right? But they're they're so either they're so small that I don't know about them. In which case, I would argue that their point of view is irrelevant because I'm pretty into the I'm not the most into small creator communities, but I'm pretty wired into the workings of the internet. Yes, I am the internet. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. That's a meme. Don't repeat that. What I'm saying is like I'm so involved in the internet and i still don't know about somebody who like transcends their medium to such an extent that they're taking it to new places right and inviting copycats and stuff like that that person doesn't really exist on youtube so the rest of us are forced to just we could be copying that person right now and by copying that person we discover like things about them that we things about their format that we can't do properly so we adapt it to our style and that becomes a new format and we're advancing the medium even more, right? That process is not happening. We've stagnated. People who have grown so complacent, they've just embraced the mediocrity that YouTube has allowed to flourish and then we're just stuck there and we're not moving forward and that's a problem. And uh, yeah, that's all I wanted to say. Man, the, the scale of that went from fucking YouTube to crazy, just went everywhere. 
That's nuts. Okay. I I th- I feel like that was more on topic than the previous two of these I've done. And I think it's discussive enough that I'll make it one of the bigger podcasts because we're we're going on 40 minutes now and it's just been me talking by myself in my room. Okay. So anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Kaito by the Sea. That's K-A-I-T-O by the Sea. Uh, Patreon page is the same link. I'll obviously have it linked here, and I'm going to share this on Twitter. So when, if you see wherever you see this, go check it out because none of my posts are patron only as of now. When I get my writing piece done, that's going to be patron only. So there's that. Hopefully, you don't mind these 40 seconds of promotion after 40 minutes of uh, hard hitting thoughtful insight that's a that's sarcasm if you couldn't detect that okay thanks for listening and i'll see you in the next episode